0: When we're dealing with Enfujans, I've spoken to many people from the jungle who took the pilgrimage to jungle and sat with different tribes and wisdom carriers. And before they were allowed to drink their first ayahuasca, for example, or yahe or any, they had to go through so many different rites of passages before they were brought to the first experience of their medicine. They kind of taken through lots of rites of passages, meaning they were challenged biologically, physically, psychologically, maybe with fasting, maybe with resetting their gut biome through different diets of different plants, meditation, for example, can you sit with yourself, contain yourself in a challenging situation, for example. Mm -hmm. So they were kind of led into by the elders of the medicine carriers for, for so many months and years before finally it was agreed for them to take their first ayahuasca.
1: The amazing thing about the mushrooms is that they speak
2: they talk to you. They will answer questions,
1: carry on conversations. Psilocybin just pulls up a chair on the porch and puts its feet up.
2: Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of Psilocybin Says. I'm Courtney Rose.
1: And I forgot who I am, but I'm here. I'm here with you. Okay,
2: I'll remind you. You're uh, Eric. Oh, You're Eric that's Osborne. Right, that's right.
1: Remember that episode that's- about too many mushrooms? <laughs> Just kidding. You're going to listen to an incredible interview I believe with the wonderful Susan Gooner who is the host of Psychedelic Conversations podcast and the founder of Reset Microdosing over in the UK. She's also a licensed psychotherapist. She has some really interesting perspectives on psychedelics. I particularly appreciate her uh, thoughts around harm reduction and integration. Courtney didn't get to be a part of this interview.
2: Yeah I was pretty bummed I didn't get to speak with Susan. She sounds like a really awesome person uh who's doing a lot of great work but i'm excited to listen to the episode later
1: and the good thing is she wants to have you on her podcast Woo-woo. so there's that i was also on her show as well if you want to go check that out it's conversations uh talked about some you know weird stuff imagine that and uh but it was a really good conversation flowed really well she's a great conversationalist and she's got some excellent uh interviewees on her show. I think she's up in the 70s number of Mm -hmm. episodes. So go check it out. Subscribe to our show. Subscribe to her show. Subscribe Mm -hmm. to all the psychedelic shows. (laughs) Well, not all of them. Come on. on. They're not all
2: for everybody. But if you want to find Susan's show, we're going to link it in the show notes. Everything about Susan you will find down below. So if you're not watching this on YouTube, uh, you can see Eric and Susan's facial expressions, <laughs> dynamic movements on YouTube. Uh, and if you're watching there, please do comment and let us know what you think of the episode.
1: Thanks as always for listening and we'll see you on the other side of the mushroom.
0: Yeah, enjoy.
1: All right, Susan, welcome to Civil Seven Says.
0: Hello, thank you so much for having me.
1: It's a pleasure, yeah. I really enjoyed our conversation on your show. I encourage all of our listeners to go check that out. And uh, I'm eager to hear about your experiences, particularly with these conversations. You know, I went through your uh, library of, of interviewees and you have really interviewed a lot of really interesting people. So I am uh, grateful to be amongst the ranks.
0: Mm, thank you so much for joining me as well. I think it was one of the most enjoyable and uh, free-flowing conversation because uh, I'm keen to interview a lot of people that are in the field, hands-on, um, communing with these medicines and working and guiding people, so I found that more interesting um, than the uh, you know any other model. So that's kind of where my passion is, and that's why I love when people come in from a background of a lot of experience in the field. Mm-hmm.
1: So, mm-hmm. Well, how, what kind of inspired you to start the podcast? Just a general interest, or did was there some spark that ignited that set it off?
0: Yeah, of course. Um, so when I did my foundational medicine work um, eight years ago now, I remember uh, collaborating with a native medicine carrier, and I quickly uh, started observing how different the uh, approach to the medicine they had, and that kind of sparked my interest. How, how each culture and, uh, you know, there's, there's so many ways of approaching the medicine, and I realized there is more than one way to work with the medicine, and I thought that would be a great starting point of talking to as many people as possible who are in the field, who have their own experience and their own unique approaches to just give the world a different view. Because there's there is a as you know, mainstream has kind of quite a few models that are being pushed into the mainstream, and and but that's just scratching the surface there's so much you know that's just the tip of the iceberg and that was kind of the inspiration i wanted to bring to the world if they feel resonated and you know if they can just listen and it's just a different perspective from different people so that's how uh, it all started
1: i love that there's such such a need for varied perspectives and and one of the things i was really curious about as i was going through that list and listening to some of your episodes is Talking with leaders from so many different approaches, is there any kind of um, kind of consistent message or what is the common thread maybe that you're finding through these conversations, if any?
0: Yeah, there is one actually that's kind of developing. Uh, one is which that um, most people who have a field experience for many, many years they realize very quickly that psychedelic work can't be put in a small container, like the scientific model. So that's been the developing uh, thread. And people who really understand what we're dealing with, they have a very different approach and understanding. Mm -hmm. So kind of contradicts what the uh, mainstream media is feeding the public right now. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the thread that really, uh, you know, highlights, highlighted for me again and again, especially from those guests that are actually traveled to, to the ends of the world, to sit with the indigenous people, to sit with those real medicine keepers and gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. So that was really interesting. So now it makes me think, how do we, bring this into a a room, all desensitized and confined. And so that's kind of like the interesting part for me.
1: And what do you, what do you, how do we do that? I mean, that's, I just got off the phone with a clinician um, and, you know, finding out how limited their ability is to speak and share their information because so much of this is still in the research and development phase. It feels like we we're, we're limited limited in our ability to integrate our knowing as practitioners with this more uh, modern medical perspective. so have you have you do you see inroads there or what does that look like?
0: So coming from the therapy background myself, so my approach has always been, not so much the traditional, you know, not, not not so much the the clinical setting of you know being in a clinical room of you know mm-hmm. eye shades and, and there's someone sitting by by the patient. Not like that. I already had this is going to it is it is set up for to fail from, from the start. Um, only because only because um, the way that I approach you, for example, I I look at the psilocybin as a psychedelic medicine, as a revealing experience. So what does that look like? I mean, if if the clinician or the person facilitating this experience, if they don't understand it, mm-hmm. um, since, the, since the psychedelic entheogens, let's say, they communicate to us in very symbolic and metaphorical ways, mm-hmm. so, and it cannot be translated or interpreted in that direct literal way. So the, if you look at the indigenous shamans or the indigenous medicine facilitators, they, they understand these symbolic and metaphorical messaging or communication and they have a different way of bringing it to the person who's experiencing them. Uh, in, in some ways they also keep them accountable. So because of the the you know the born into the family lineage and you know they've been they've been watched by their elders and there is a there is an accountability where people kind of stay in line ideally not all the time but i mean mm-hmm. we we hear we hear horror stories of that but ideally that's kind of the model that has kept this going really well and if we can bring this into the therapeutic model which means we're going to need a therapist or a facilitator who understands the language of the medicine mm-hmm. and then help translate or interpret it for the patient or the client or the participant in a way that they can integrate and understand because if there is no understanding and these big metaphorical biblical experiences uh, left unintegrated can become the biggest uh, despair and disorientation.
1: So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and of course, the way to get a deeper understanding of how psychedelics work is to read more books and um, more research papers. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> a big message obviously obviously the, ex- the experience, right? And, and I It's think the that's, experience, yeah. Which is, God, it's amazing to me how much pushback... I have gotten in medical and therapeutic communities, and I see this not just within myself, I see these conversations in LinkedIn, which is where we connected, um, and other platforms where when it's presented that a practitioner should have many years of experience before they're administering to the public and whatnot, um, there's a lot of pushback against that. And yeah, what do you what do you Mm. think is behind that? And just real quick to say before we go on, obviously, Courtney couldn't join us today because uh, a lot of work that she had to do. But I'm going to be drinking one of her incredible smoothies while we talk here. (laughs) So don't take offense. (laughs) She is she is with us in a way. So (laughs) but yeah, what's the pushback? What's the origin of that pushback?
0: Mm, enjoy the speaker, by the way, <laughs> and sending love to Courtney. Hope to hope to have her on, on the psychedelic conversation. Yeah,
1: really. yes, I'm very eager for you all to meet. Mm. I think you would get on fabulously. So
0: amazing. So the pushback, um, probably because we don't have time. Probably because mm. there's a um, mm. real panic around the time of how to bring this as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, you know, as you know, with the pandemic and all kinds of different things are happening in the, in the world, kind of like bringing up a lot of trauma in people, mm-hmm. uh, inducing a lot of anxiety. I mean, as you know, these, are, these symptoms are not something that just born out of the pandemic because we're living, it's like our world has changed. We're living in a post-pandemic era, which is very different than pre Pandemic, so I think we need a lot more elders, uh, people like wisdom carriers can speak to this more often. People need guidance in these kind of transitions, which we don't have. in In the Western model, we don't have these elders, the the people that you go to for you know to consult them or to you know how they share wisdom and guide people. Like if you look at the tribal human uh, wiring, there's always these elders, leaders, some people ushering them into these uh, uncertainty and and some of these uh, conflicting transitional times, right? So unfortunately in the West, we don't have this. People are very alone. They don't have connections. They're suffering alone in their homes. So the suicide rate is going up by the minute. Um, Anxiety is like off the charts. And and just to say that this is not because it's happened during the pandemic, it was already there. Yes. You know, this, this, is, this is a process of bringing up a lot of trauma that people carried, suppressed, were able to function before. And now somehow mm-hmm. some of the things have shifted and changed so fast. You know, anytime we hit a such incredible uncertain times, you know, the, the system gets all shaken and everything is now coming to surface, and so the timing, the sensitivity around that is the big issue, and that's why um, the medicines are being ushered fast, like, we can't get them out fast enough. So mm. there is that, there is that urgency. And I understand that, for example, Rick Doblin talks to this a lot, and he says, uh, we don't have time, like, we don't have time. Uh, I get that, there is a urgency and a need for help, you know, there is, and it's coming from all very good intentions, but, when we're dealing with n it it doesn't follow those kind of rules. You know, it, it doesn't. And I, I I spoken to many people from the jungle who took the pilgrimage to jungle and sat with different different um, tribes and wisdom carriers. And before they were allowed to drink their first ayahuasca, for example, or yahe or any, you know, whatever the name that the um, tribes or indigenous people call them, they had to go through so many different rites of passages mm. before they were brought to the first experience of the medicine. So they, they kind of taken through lots of rites of passages, meaning um, they're, they're, they were challenged biologically, physically, psychologically by maybe with fasting, maybe with uh, resetting their gut biome through different diets of different plants that are non-psychoactive. Uh, meditation, for example, can you sit with yourself, contain your contain yourself in a challenging situation for example Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so they were kind of led into by the elders of the the medicine you know carriers for for so many months and years before finally it was agreed for them to take their first ayahuasca Mm -hmm. so that's a very different approach Mm -hmm. and and there's a reason why because when such you know ineffable experiences just kind of found you if you if you cannot contain yourself in your in this body then you're going to want someone to like you're going to um cause havoc you're going to cause you're going to want someone to maybe pin you down not exactly Mm -hmm. but you know what i mean hold your hand Mm -hmm. or i mean we've seen this happen we've Mm -hmm. seen this happen in in the retreats that i i took part in and we've seen people running around in, in all kinds of ways and uh, because the, the logic goes out the window, the, uh, you know, everybody turns into this pre, um, Ken Wilber says, you know, the pre, uh, uh, what's the word he uses the, um, it's almost like they become infants, you mm-hmm. know, they become these toddlers running around. Right. So, but a trained body, a trained nervous system then will be able to contain the, the, the vastness and the hugeness of this experience. Mm. So that's the that's the initial training. So how do we help people build that, you know, that such capacity then to contain themselves? I'm not saying contain the experience, contain themselves during right. the experience. So there's a fine line there. And a lot of the facilitators don't understand this, you know.
1: Yeah. God, that is, yes, yes, yes. Uh, it, it goes back to... You um, know, for me, oh, there's so much here that I'd like to unpack, and um, you know, I think that it's people see individuals like us and don't understand the history that we have with the medicine, and it's very easy to think, well, there's that person doing it, so I can do it too. But they don't, they don't know the thousands of hours that have been spent in learning to contain your your system like that and and that's why when i am you know we, we're training people um probably at a faster pace than you know we would like obviously but because that need is so high and individual healing is so high and one of the things that we're really working to do first and foremost is to train people to sit for themselves sit with themselves and why the most important rule you know i've often joked that my only rule is don't leave because as time has gone on and i found myself in these terrifying situations where i'm tempted to drive myself to the hospital or run screaming into the night you know um that that knowledge that if we can if we just stay there if we stay put if we just dig in and get through this thing that we're going to come out so much better afterwards but you know like you said training that nervous system when you are faced with imminent death we're we're not accustomed to to running into it to facing it you know we try to run the other way and so it takes such a long time and so many experiences to be able to yeah, train that into yourself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this is the kind of wisdom that needs to be out to the public. Um, the Western model or, or the life in the West, as you know, people have been... Um, like, you know, I talk about the rescue culture, for example. The rescue culture. We became a rescue culture. Mm. It's like we don't allow people anymore to go through their challenges.
1: Oh, so true. Mm-hmm.
0: Right? Um, there are, because of, you know, there are so many technicians, physicians, doctors, all kinds of people, psychotherapists, like just end of the phone. And somehow people just cannot be with their challenging um, states. And mm-hmm. it's almost like continually outsourcing, outsourcing, outsourcing to a friend, to a doctor, to a therapist, to someone, to something. Just get me out of this state. Let me go to a drum bath. Let me go to a sound bath. Let me go to this, I don't know, all kinds of circles, healing circles. Anything but just to be with this, I can't. So I will just spend all of my energy doing all kinds of things, but to be with it. So there is a real need to train the mind or the, the mindset of the the modern lifestyle that we've accustomed to thinking that we can just take two pills and get rid of the headache
1: right <clears throat> and that's yeah. how how we're seeing psychedelics still being presented and and if there is one kind of risk to public safety around psychedelics I feel like it is treating them as a panacea or as yeah. a typical western medicine that you have you know you take the medicine and then you have this result when as you obviously know it 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 it's years unfolding a single experience yeah. is is years in the unfolding yes. can you can you talk about some of your personal experience though uh what is is, is psilocybin is ayahuasca what is your uh medicine of choice so to speak
0: yeah yeah so um i there is a saying i don't know if you know eric there is a saying that the deeper the wounds the the, the tougher the medicine you go for like mm. when i interview for example facilitators of for example 5mu bufor various so i'm like wow like what story do you carry in order to facilitate you know as you know the 5mu before is known to be the most powerful of all mm-hmm. so there is a curiosity always uh, sparks in me. Hmm. What took you to come, let alone work with Bufo, but to facilitate is a whole nother level. Um, it's a little bit like that, my story. So my uh, medicine of choice in the beginning was ayahuasca. So I did work with ayahuasca for a very long time. And then San Pedro, then then mushroom. So it's kind of like, you know how also, which I don't agree, um, people say, oh, you should always go with mushrooms first before you do the ayahuasca." You know, there is this higher, they they kind of put all these medicine hierarchical levels. I don't know mm-hmm. if, if you agree or not, but in my personal experience, there is no such a thing. Right. All medicines can be very powerful in, in its own. It is not so much the medicine, but it's the the container that the medicine is interacting with container being us the body the person uh, depending on where we are and how much work we have done and what capacity the the nervous system capacity we have uh, psychological capacity and all of these you know put in perspective the medicine will interact with you at that level so We can't be saying, um, start with mushrooms because they're gentle. Not really, because I had my most intense experience with mushrooms. So, Mm -hmm. if anything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, my choice of medicine was ayahuasca. And at the time, I was training as a psychologist and a therapist as well. And uh, luckily, I had a lot of information around the somatic therapy, working with the body and the meditation practices, the mindfulness. I was trying to find like a bridge between how this one informed the other? How do we bring this together? Around that time, I discovered Peter Levine, the Somatic Experiencing Founder, and I realized how the trauma and the wounding was stuck in the body and carried in the body. Not exactly the wounding, but the memories, how the body responded in the moment of that trauma was carried on a cellular level in the body. And it was really obvious for me in my ayahuasca experience that I was brought back there again and again and again physically. So that understanding changed everything for me. And that's where I started. My God, if we can just help people to get to a really good place in their system, for example, if someone is suffering from uh, anxiety, PTSD, complex PTSD, for example, mm-hmm. they cannot contain themselves in a body. They are not there in the first place. So it's, if we can just understand these nuances when people come to medicine in the screening process, and you know that you're dealing with hypersensitive person and that they are not going to be able to contain themselves when they are brought back to the memories of the initial trauma. So that trauma-informed perspective changes from the experience itself, how a person receives it, and the whole integration sessions after the whole thing changes with that understanding alone. So that's how I kind of did my own work alongside learning and making sense of it bringing all kinds of therapy models also the indigenous wisdom how can we you know bring put a you know, bridge for example one of my favorite uh, stories i tell with our community is how the native medicine carrier that i worked with she was like um she would she would say uh, she would use a language for example exorcism Mm-hmm. So she would Oof. say, like, during a ceremony, she would say, oh, we're going to exorcise exorc- this entity that you're carrying inside. For me, that was, oh, wow, well, she means this person is carrying a very deep wounding and trauma. Mm. And that's what they are sensing. And that's the language they're using. But uh, it was very quickly um, revealed to me that someone who comes from the Western model of living the life and they have no idea of, of these kind of understanding and perspective of the, the natives. And that could freak someone out. If you go up to somebody who's never done the medicine and they have a very shaky religious beliefs or, or spiritual beliefs, for example, the, the, the entity, the otherworldly stuff, for example, uh, and and the facilitator goes up to them and says, "We're going to exorcise you <laughs> tonight. Right. We're going to get that entity out of you, and that could in itself freak the person out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that session can become the biggest, um, you know, nightmare mm-hmm. for months, for months. So
1: Right, re-traumatizing. So, so,
0: exactly. So there is there is a whole lot of nuanced details around these, how to approach these big, you know, ineffable experiences, in what model, in what sense, and and can we bring the Western, the language, the indigenous and the spiritual, can we merge them, can we create bridges, can we bring it to people in a way that individually they can be kind of custom, customized for them in their own understanding and the level they are, and this is going to take an incredible work, Eric, you know, this mm-hmm. is not a this is not something we could just prepare someone for like, um, uh, four weeks before. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Like it's going to take the facilitator. to, it's going to take a facilitator that really knows their ground and understands the different languages, the perspectives, world views, cultures, like for example, people of color, you know, uh, people uh, like, um, nations that come from a really deep oppression or oppression, you know, history of oppression, for example, your approach has to be very different to them. Mm-hmm. They cannot be put in the same, same circle as another person who is just coming in there for different needs and intents, which again, they can, but it's gonna require that level of a, experienced facilitator to contain all at once so right. there's lots of different nuances and details in this yeah
1: so true so true that the the language barriers seem to be one of the most challenging as we're particularly working with diverse demographics because Every individual is a is an individual worldview and has their own lexicon and linguistic system that they use to describe the world that they're in. And so to be able to adapt is one of the mo- another really important skill in a facilitator uh, from person to person, you know, and <clears throat> experiencing in the group circles, one of the uh, most enjoyable and challenging aspects is that. You know, one one period you're sitting there with an individual who is going through their process and their personal history and their uh, kind of um, you know worldview, and also their immediate expression that they're in, and then you may be called to go to someone else immediately who is in a completely different place, and as a facilitator, you have to be able to effectively shift from moment to moment. And then to be able to kind of recover yourself and integrate that experience yourself, I think that's we're going to see a real need for um, integration support therapy, if you want to call it that, for practitioners as they be, get more and more exposed to this, um, you know, energy flying all over the place or secondary trauma. Uh, do, you, do you, so in your work as a facilitator, and I know, well, hold on, I want to put a pin in that because I don't want to get too far off of your personal experiences. Let's move into psilocybin. You said ayahuasca is where you started, um, mm-hmm. but you also said that psilocybin was one of your most challenging experiences. And this has always been, um, uh, I, I feel like something that is not well understood, even within the medis- the you know, psychedelic <laughs> community, let's say, uh, that psilocybin is not necessarily gentle and ayahuasca is not necessarily uh, always hard either, you know, so to try to box this stuff in is just really ineffective. So maybe if you could draw on some of your psilocybin experiences as a basis of comparison for us.
2: Are you looking for a community that allows you to authentically express and explore what it means to be human? One that honors the divinity within you and all life? Then Sanctuary may be just the community you have been looking for. Sanctuary is a faith-based organization centered around the sacrament of sacred mushrooms for spiritual exploration and personal development. You are invited to become a member and commune with us. Join us for a Sunday Zoom service or a weekend sacred mushroom retreat in the beautiful Kentucky countryside. Visit p-s-a-n-c-t-u-a-r-y.org to become a member and find more information.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's a great question, actually. Yeah, and um, just want to highlight that again and again. Um, Even with doses, for example, I get a lot of questions about what would you call a high dose or what is the average high dose? I'm like, but it's not dose dependent. (laughs) This is my answer. And they're like, what do you mean? But I read so-and-so paper (laughs) said three grams or five. I'm like, "Mm -mm," (laughs) mm-mm, because I've seen somebody... I've seen someone really having this full-blown psychosis on just one point five. Yep. Yes. And then I've seen I've seen others not even feeling anything at five. So, mm-hmm. so we can't box mm-hmm. them up. So for sure, and and ayahuasca isn't necessarily tough, mm-hmm. and isn't and it isn't necessarily female. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. San Pedro isn't mm-hmm. necessarily you know male. Right. Um it's interesting, right? It's mm-hmm. it's just it's just insane to me how we try to sense make of all this. <laughs> <laughs> We're just making it <laughs> right and then we make more mess of it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um so the, the the mushroom experience, the challenging experience, it revealed to me how fragile my psychological well-being was. Mm. And it did this through taking me to the edges of my psyche. It's almost like to a point where I was holding on to my dear life on a thread. Mm -hmm. And that is a revealing experience. So if I didn't understand, so that's the education part. Like we need to speak more of this, that these medicines are revealing rather not something external coming in, but it's like internal being Mm. revealed, highlighted. So in that experience, I could easily say lots of different things to distract myself and say, oh, you know, there's also stories like, oh, there was, um, because of this so-and-so person, they they brought in some entity so that Mm. we all now, the whole Mm. ceremony is messed up, but no. Mm. It was more like a very grounded understanding of, wow, it's literally doing this almost purposely to show me how fragile my psychology is. At that time, that was like the biggest breakthrough I had, but it came with a very strong, like, it, it demanded, you know, to contain myself in that way that I did that allowed me to have the breakthrough. So I could have easily create a whole chaos and ask the facilitator to come and hold my hand or distract myself from that thing that the medicine was trying to show me, make it about the person over there or the, oh, the facilitator. Like You know, I get these stories as well. Sometimes when people have a challenging experience, they say, oh, the facilitator wasn't experienced enough, <laughs> so the container wasn't held safe enough. Right. So therefore, there's these energies are flying around. I'm like, hang on a minute. Have you ever thought that maybe you just can't contain yourself because it was so challenging? How about just accepting that it was really challenging for you? It's okay. It's okay to be vulnerable about that you know? So that was my, yeah, that was my experience of the realization how fragile my psychology and that also, you know, psychedelics, they don't heal us in a sense, but they just show us where to start, right? Mm -hmm. Where to start. So that was my, this is where I start.
1: God, I feel like you and I could have (laughs) lots of conversations, Mm -hmm. um, my general sense is that you are one of the most experienced uh, facilitators that I have spoken with. Um, yeah, no, it's a, it's an, it's an energy, and it's a wisdom that's present in your knowing that we don't know, you know, and so that's where I found myself in recent years. A, a challenge when people ask me these questions that they're like the answer is always just kind of like, you know. <laughs> And people want, people want, we want answers. We want to know like what's going to happen when I do this. And there's just, there's just no way to tell. And you just have to dive in yourself and keep going back at it because it will be as different as the, as as many times as you approach it, as different as it will be. Um, But what, in terms of your, your spiritual understanding. So you've spoken quite a bit about, you know, the psychological perspective, which I appreciate. um, And that obviously is an important of lens to bring into all of this, but also, you know, the uh, more esoteric or that which we maybe don't has have as effective language for. Like, how do you understand and engage and communicate that side of this?
0: Mm, yeah, that's a really great question. Probably this is the first time I'll be speaking to it because somehow. I've been very private with that side of my life, the spiritual side, because I always had this inkling that the spiritual side is a very intimate, it's that private connection and it's almost like very unique, that it's hard to explain, to put the words into that. Um, for that reason, I always try and avoid going to the spiritual direction, and also because um, I don't agree with the the current the spiritualization of the psychedelic medicines as well. I don't like the way it's heading. Okay. Um. The, for example, the the one that sticks out the most is the love and light culture. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. It's all about the healing, and we're all one. But then. Mm-hmm.
1: The sound bands it's, and the drum circles, yeah
0: yeah, but obviously we're not because you know so so for me, uh, to be honest, Eric the, the spiritual aspect for me, uh, paradoxically has always been about, can I be a good person in my life? Can I become a shelter, a container, a safe home for those that I love? That's spirituality for me mm. Can I be a good person for the planet, for the communities? Um, Can I be super conscious of what I say, what I do, my actions? That's a really hard work, you know, being conscious of all this all the time. It's exhausting. Mm. And I tie the spirituality to the mundane, which is really different than the esoteric understanding of, the other realms or the dimensions. I mean, Stan Groff is one of the guys that I really um, digged into his spiritual emergency books and some of his, uh, you know, textbooks and some of these concepts that he shares. And I know that he brings a lot of like a metaphorical, symbolic, like um, all kinds of different conversations to, to table, but somehow for me, it's always about There is this anchor that I use. A friend of mine told me this a a, a while ago during uh, my early work of medicines. And he said, he's a philosopher, by the way. And he said, um, there was a nun who retired after 40 years of serving in a monastery as a nun. And they wanted to interview this lady and ask the questions were like so you know what did you do in your 40 years of like service did you did you commune with angels did you speak to god and all these kind of questions and she paused and paused for a long time and she said i learned two things how to eat and how to sleep
3: <laughs>
0: it was very different than what they expected so it's kind of like my spiritual understanding ties into integrating myself in the mundane more mm-hmm. so than away like <clears throat> more grounding <clears throat> rather than ascending <clears throat> if that makes sense no absolutely
1: <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat>
3: excuse me
1: no absolutely yesterday i did a lot of uh yard work and it is always so profound to me how spiritual digging dirt is it is, it is one of the most spiritual things. And I've, I've said, even as a mushroom grower, you know, ultimately, I'm a dirt maker. That's what we're, that's what we're doing. I, I just want to make good dirt, and I want my body to be good dirt. So yes, that grounding, which is what I think makes for a really good facilitator as well, right? Because when all the balloons are out floating in the ether, somebody's got to be there holding it all to the ground
0: yeah yeah absolutely there's i want to tell you one one example for example um in so even you know it's easy to spiritualize all all the experiences of the endogenic medicines right um rightly so because you know not denying that piece, but Mm -hmm. i feel like What's been perpetuated in those circles is quite dangerous right now. It's like um, one of my online mentors, for example, Caroline Mace, she's like a spiritual mentor. And she's been at this for like 40 years. Um, For example, she's really against this quick uh, access to the esoteric, Mm -hmm. the spiritual. Mm -hmm. Um, She talks about, like she she gives examples of how in the past, for example, you would need a mentor, mm-hmm. somebody who's already been through the path. And then you would you know, go to places and initially you would cook and clean, sweep the floor before you're allowed to ask the question, who am I? For example. Mm-hmm. Uh, somehow because of the quick access to the medicines right now, Again, coming back to the container, if this container isn't ready, accessing to an experience, metaphorically, communing with the God is quite dangerous, actually. Mm. As a a wisdom, it's too quick, too soon, um, they can't digest it, and that then fuels the ego instead. Mm. Mm -hmm. Instead of humbling the person, instead of bringing them and grounding them, it's actually, like you said, blowing them up more and there's more, like, then this desire of ascending, ascending more and more, like, let's all ascend and leave. What about our bodies? What about here? What about, what about the 3D? Where are we going? Mm-hmm. We, haven't, we haven't even learned how to root. We haven't even learned how to ground and root and, and claim our space on planet Earth. We haven't even done that yet. We're just mm-hmm. such an in infancy. Where are we going? We can't go now. So, so that's like a pre, you know a premature wisdom mm-hmm. uh, that's been perpetuated in psychedelic medicine circles is actually quite dangerous. You've seen it probably. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. just feeds more of the ego desires of wanting to be something, something, anything but this this ordinary human. Like anything extraordinary, but this ordinary human. There is this incredible denial wanting to be just an ordinary simple person and what you said about their digging dirt is accepting that that's that's for me is what spiritual is
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so do you think it's a uh, mm, that to say that psychedelics are always ego dissolving is that a uh, mm, is that is, is that untrue
0: of course.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's, like, that's the other part of this that just drives me crazy is like this like rhetoric of I take mushrooms to dissolve my ego. And then it just becomes a pissing contest of who took more mushrooms or who's more spiritually evolved, you know. Yeah. So how do we communicate this? What do, what do we do when we live in a culture that is so focused on what's over there? right um how do we help people to understand and, and these experiences you know because they are so expansive and they do help so many people um but how do we help people kind of keep it grounded and understand that this is just a step in the process to just keep coming back to center keep coming back to center within yeah. the psychedelic community
0: yeah so who that's the For me, that's the community. Mm -hmm. So integration is the community. I believe in that so much. So in itself, the community having um, in your community, for example, I think the way the psychedelic kind of wants us to come back to that community model is so Mm -hmm. evident in everything. Yes. Yes. So what does that mean for those that are listening, not really understanding the, the context here is... In that community, you would have people who's walked the path before you. And then there'll be newcomers. And then, you know, there's different, not in a hierarchical, you know, not that. No. I'm not talking about that. It's it's more of a family together. It's just that some people will have more wisdom, more experience, more hours with the medicine. Therefore, they can then say, hey, like you said, the accountability, no. hey. Uh, after your first session with ayahuasca, please don't tell me that medicine told you to serve ayahuasca. <laughs> like, like somebody needs to tell them. No. Like, like somebody, and we need, and who can do that? If we are a rescue culture,
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: if we are too afraid of rejection, if let's say most of us in the medicine work haven't done our own work. And we still thrive on how the participants come to us. Uh, If we still are on this level where we want everyone to like us, Mm -hmm. that's the disservice. Mm -hmm. So I always say we need sharp-tongued mentors Mm. who can keep the accountability in check, tell them as it is, Yes, you may be, yes, you may be a good facilitator capacity. You might have it, or you might you might be that special person, but wait. Mm. There are other steps before we get there. So we need those kind of community members to keep those people accountable. And facilitators as well. Like you you know this, there's lots of people carrying before medicine in their pockets and they're just giving it out as if it's like, you know, nothing. And
3: mm-hmm.
0: so I don't know how we're going to tackle this issue. This is a really, really um, sensitive, again, conversation around how do we do this? Do mm-hmm. we create like a, a group of council where people are watching? Who's watching who, for example?
1: Oh, yeah. And that's, that creates such a slippery slope as well, because you have to ensure that those individuals are not of a hierarchical mind, because, yeah. you know, even as you say this, you know, more experienced facilitators, people want to... Rank. And it's very difficult when that is our format for, you know, our basis of comparison for almost everything is who's above and who's below. And to be able to bring this work and on an equal playing field and help people understand that even the most experienced practitioner still has an enormous amount to learn. And it's much easier in the earlier stages to feel, to mistakenly feel that you have gained some authority and wisdom because of these initial experiences. And if you continue to work with the medicine as it progresses, then it's more likely that that ego will be put in check and you can understand that you don't understand and then be a more effective facilitator, um, helping each other hold accountable. I really appreciate what you said about that, the sharp tongue, um, because we are so used to walking on eggshells and, you know, treating everybody like broken mm-hmm. individuals. And it doesn't mean be- because we are uh, stern or because we have, you know, or we're very direct in our speech, uh, particularly around something that it has, an, it, it has. There's a great risk with psychedelics just because it's not uh, toxic in any way, just because psilocybin is physiologically very safe doesn't mean that there aren't significant risks associated with it. And fortunately, myself, I, you know, I don't know what it is. I, I, I hope or I feel that it is the medicine itself that has guided me because I haven't had elders and I have certainly slipped along the way and my ego has certainly blown out of proportion along the way and it's had to be continually put in check by the community and by the medicine itself. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting... Kind of unfolding um, in the culture that in the culture that we're in around this.
0: Yeah, it is. It is.
1: So, what about you? Know, you've mentioned kind of maybe not real directly, but I've heard you say a couple of times now. you know, the intelligence of the medicine, or the wisdom of the medicine, the intention of the medicine. What are your thoughts on how we are? Perceived or how we are engaged with on the on the side of the the sacraments or the medicine themselves
0: yeah so um, i don't know if you heard this um, sentence that the the medicines are cultivating us mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way um, there is an inside joke among my other facilitator friends that uh, we've been sort of like hired by the medicines mm-hmm. <laughs> to mm-hmm. to Bring it to the world because you know they can't do it themselves, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, as I understand from your question, um, how one of the things that you know again and again comes to mind for me specifically, the influencers somehow they carry an agenda. Uh, agenda meaning not a not an insidious agenda. It's actually very mm-hmm. uh, uh, open agenda where they just want to put things right Mm. they just want to put things right and the way they engage with us is is exactly in that sort of approach they just want things to be just like hey there is a there is this consciousness thing is going it's like an energy something it's like a mothership or something is happening and you are part of this and let's kind of let's kind of file down your arrogance a little bit so that you know there is something bigger than you and the world doesn't revolve around you. So let's bring you home in that sense. Like, let's bring you home. It's almost like the infusions for me are, let's bring you home. Uh, that's kind of the message I always hear. And this is kind of, is now evident in so many um, Experiences and witnessing, um, I think that's how they want to interact with us. Like, let's bring everyone home and let's stop this thing that's causing the unnecessary conflict in, in all of us.
1: Mm-hmm. So, how do we find this balance, or where is the balance in be- this kind of what um, the medicines want, so to speak, and our own? um eagerness to satisfy that um, human ego and to be you know psychedelic practitioners and uh, and all of that like where is there a place where that comes together do you, do you understand what i'm saying mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. also like can i be honest with you in, in in a sense that for someone to come into this work in the way that that we do you got to have some really messed up background, Mm. like, like you got to, you got to have, uh, this, um, which, which is the messed up background, meaning like a life, you know, or upbringing in, in such a violent environment or, or hostile environment where, you know, Growing up, you know, all of these values and virtues have just been ripped away. And, and and a lot of the people that come to the medicine work, usually they don't know it at the time, but they realize after if guided well that, oh my God, I didn't have a home to start with. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but then but then as the work evolves and unfolds and the person kind of, get stronger in themselves and their understanding and their expansiveness and all of that, there is a switching point. There's a switch that happens within them. And in that switch, all of the hostile upbringing and the volatile experiences and the trauma and the wounding suddenly becomes their greatest gift. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they can contain such work. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the facilitators, when they do their internal work well, mm-hmm. they are going to be the one lasting and holding these circles till the end mm-hmm. because they can contain so much chaos mm-hmm. because they mm-hmm. can be with so much difficulty. Those, it's almost like as this thing is unfolding, the psychedelic renaissance and things are happening, At the end, those are the facilitators gonna stand there still, not crumbling, Mm -hmm. because just because they made that switch where they now turned all of that struggle, the challenge into a gift of containing all of that chaos. Mm -hmm. For example, like my upbringing, I, from a very infancy, early age, I was in the care of a grandmother who suffered from complex PTSD and all host of other mental issues that is unknown because it was a taboo and a stigma back then. And so I was trained by her unintentionally. Mm -hmm. So all of that chaos that I had to contain as a kid, it's the same scene in a psychedelic ceremony. Mm -hmm. All that chaos that you can contain. It's it's almost like, I know this place. Mm-hmm. I, 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 na- yeah, I navigate this place really well. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the, uh, my understanding that those are the facilitators that are going to stand through this um, challenging time. And really, you know, again, you know, like I said, um, a lot of people won't do this otherwise, you know. Like, who does this, right? It's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy to think, but like, the, the level of intensity that you, you ask to be with
3: Mm-hmm.
0: that it could, it could push you to, to, to the ends of your psyche, that it's, it's hard, it's hard to contain all of that. And then, and then you question yourself, well, like, why am I doing this every single time? So that's kind of like an indication of, 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 for me, that's a green light. If someone's continually questioning themselves every time, that's, that's healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the red flag for me would be a facilitator who's so full of themselves and, come in there and like, you know, uh, uh, that's kind of like a red flag for me. So there's lots of different, again, (laughs) threads that I'm opening, but I think you understand
1: what I mean. Oh, totally. Uh, And and I think that is in a kind of a roundabout way comes to this question of the intersect of um, you know, the intention of the medicine and uh, kind of the 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 ego that we are that that is being brought into the conversation around psychedelics is that eventually we will see that those among us who are the most wounded are the greatest healers and we you know we have this tendency to kind of um, glamorize the You know the 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 medical world, the person who can come in and, like you say, rescue, save the day with their instruments and their tools. When it is our own fortitude that is is really the tool that we have to bring into the situation, Um, and it's just it's just it it quite honestly brings me to tears thinking about you know so so many people who have uh, come. You know, they come to you, I'm sure, as well, feeling damaged, feeling worthless, feeling like they're completely incapable of <clears throat> even supporting themselves. And through patience and practice with these medicines, find out that they are not only capable of and have been supporting themselves, but they're capable of, of so much more. Yeah. It's incredible.
0: And that switch is the is is the key here because um, somehow before the switch, when I say the switch, the unaware, like when we are wounded and unaware, that's can that can be really toxic, but then aware and wounded and acceptance of that is it's it's what is all about and that changes everything. And um, for example, the, the the whole new age trauma-informed spirituality is really toxic because like you said we are perpetrating that these wounded people walking around it's almost like giving them the the, the card to say yeah you're broken so stay in that victim mind like there's a perpetuation going on and then these these souls you know they attend you know there is a trend now that we have again another inside joke like it's almost, there's a competition in ceremonies who can suffer the most.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Like, because almost there's a reward or a trophy at the end, like, give me my badge. I can, I can, I can do the suffering. Like right. I've suffered the most. How can I do it even better next time? Like, <laughs> that's, that's really not, 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 not what this is all about.
1: Correct. Yeah. No. Um, and I think, for all of my work, personally, you know, this has been challenging to communicate because of that culture that seems to value suffering over joy. Um, well, let me just kind of give an example. Have you ever been in an experience where uh, you know, in a group ceremony, someone is in their suffering? Which you know, I'm not. I'm not discrediting any of it. All experiences are welcome and valid. <clears throat> all experiences but oftentimes those who are in suffering mode um are almost offended by someone in joyful mode right and we don't it seems that we don't value joy as much as we value suffering but just like the traumatic experiences that we go through in life are i believe um, you know, consciousness attempting to bring us to our state of being healers. Suffering is intended to bring us to joy. And I know it can be really hard to see that when you're in the midst of suffering, and there is this switch that has to flip eventually. Um, but it's it's always been interesting to me how we seem to value tears over laughter when laughter <laughs> And joy is is what we're actually all coming to the medicine for in the long run.
0: Exactly. And this is so amazing that you bring this up because I have a story to tell about this. So in one of my ayahuasca sessions, um, as usual, I got ready. I was like, yes, ready. This time I will go into this underworld, slay the dragons, (laughs) whatever. You know, I'm ready. Like this time I'm ready. Like No one else, like I'm really ready. And then an hour into the medicine, there's this almost like joyful laughter. Like, what do you mean you wanna go and slay the dragons in the underworld, (laughs) all that? Like, what is that about? Like, stop kidding yourself. That's your home, you live there, Mm. that's your template. Mm. That is your template. You live there, You, you run the dragons, you employ everyone. (laughs) <laughs> right? so you're the, you're the boss of the underworld so stop kidding yourself that this is your darkness your shadow that you got to go in and do some crazy suffering and slay the dragons no your darkness is joy mm. which is not in your template which is not in your template is your darkness mm. and that could be joy mm that's your work. And I was like, how dare you? How dare you? How dare you? Where is my dragon? I want to slay it. Or demons. I don't know. Like demons, I want to slay. It. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. Incredible insight. incredible insight because don't forget people who are seeking out the medicine, they carry a template of how can I suffer the best? Mm-hmm. Because the template is sadness, Feelings of doom, despair, anxious. Those are the lost people who somehow cannot claim their place on this planet. Mm-hmm. They cannot root. They cannot grow. They cannot ground. Those are going to come to the medicine. So that's, you know, it's, it's, um, there is a theme. People that are coming into this medicine that carry the same template. That's why now it's become a competition or who can do the suffering better than all of the, you know, circle, who, you know, who's in the circle. So there is a almost like perpetration of more of that. Instead, a sharp-tongued facilitator would come up and say, Hey, stop it. This is not what we're doing. This is, you know, we're here to eventually have that switch in our template and learn to be in joy and accept it, welcome it. Uh, it's, it's the darkness, so it's, it's unfamiliar. So just because uh, you know, we have these concepts around the shadow, the darkness, nobody even stops to think that joy could be your darkness, mm-hmm. uh-uh. right? So there needs to be circles of these conversations happening to give people that insight so that we can stop this competition who can suffer best right so Mm -hmm. we need to move away from that eventually like you said eventually obviously we welcome the suffering in the beginning because as we said the medicines are revealing experiences so obviously they're going to reveal everything that's carried in their template at first there's a there's steps there's a there's a whole process to it there's unfolding to it so but at some stage this needs to stop you
1: know yeah ayahuasca actually was the one that i feel like in many ways really helped me get over that threshold um <clears throat> i've always found great joy in well you know joy has been accessible in many <laughs> mushroom trips um and i've only had two ayahuasca experiences and both of them were you know relatively Mild. Uh, I'm pretty accustomed to purging. I purge quite a bit with mushrooms anyway. So I just embraced that. But um, ayahuasca showed me that I had basically been spending my life mourning the life that could have been rather than celebrating the life that was. And it was a, a major switch flipper for me, despite not being that powerful of an experience and i'm curious how have you integrated that shadow of joy into your life where where are you in that journey because i'm still working to integrate that on a daily basis
0: Mm. oh yeah this is such a great question so around the time i had a really i had an advantage of having a really um informed therapist friend and I remember um, he used to keep me accountable for things like, what did you do for yourself this weekend or whatever? Like, uh, do you ever go out for a meal just to enjoy it for the sake of it? Do you do things like outings? Like, I'm like, no, why would I? Like, no, why would I do that? And then at, at some point he was like, I'm going to keep you accountable and I'm going to ask you to do something joyful every week because we are repatterning your Mm. your behavior. So, and I need you to tell me you've done one thing nice that you enjoyed and it was lovely. And I'm like, "Mm, okay. And then a week later, like, did you do it? I'm like, I didn't have any ideas. Like, no way. Now you want me to give you ideas? I'm like, yeah, because I don't know. (laughs) So so do you see the level of it? It's just, Mm -hmm. it's insane. Mm -hmm. So that kind of put me on that path of, okay, this is psychology, right? You re pattern the old pattern and then eventually it becomes integrated and it becomes the familiar. So that's where I am. Every day it's still a it's still a, it's still a work.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I can appreciate that. Yeah, I'm I'm imagining, you know, uh, there's certainly a a time in my life when someone may have tasked me with doing something that felt good, and I I would have responded with self-flagellation, or I I tortured myself for a few hours. That was (laughs) enjoyable. Yeah. What does your What's your current practice look like? I think that there's still also the um, mistaken belief that. You know, we're taking mushrooms or ayahuasca or San Pedro or smugging DMT every weekend. Like, how how do you engage in terms of regularity with medicines? Mm,
0: I don't remember the last big dose that I took. So that's how long it's been. Mm -hmm. Um, So currently, through all the work that I have done, I came to this conclusion that. you know, more about the understanding of the container. So I call the container the body, right? The mm-hmm. the level of nervous system capacity and so on, the resiliency and all of that, the psychological resiliency and the flexibility. That's really key for me in the mm-hmm. medicine work. Mm-hmm. So I decided uh, that, okay, so when we bring in people who don't have this kind of understanding or the preparation in this kind of uh, work, what happens is that when they have these big experiences, it's like blowing out so, so quickly expanding, and then suddenly at that level contracting. So that's why a lot of people go to a weekend uh, medicine ceremonies, and then they go home with the same, in the same week, they go back to their old patterns instantly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's because, you know, when you blow out your system so quick, so fast, so, so much, there is a, the, 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 reaction is to, to shut it back down as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. So from that understanding and the knowledge, um, I decided that we need to get people on these protocols of microdosing. Um, we need to get them on understanding the microdosing, because for me, microdosing has changed and shifted a lot of things about how we need to bring these models into the Western world. Mm because the indigenous people get this. They, they grow up in these kind of ways in which they understand the medicine. They, you know, it, it's a thing in their lives. So they have the community, so they don't need integration. If you look at the, you know, a lot of the native people use this medicine, they don't, they don't talk about integration. It's, it's a Western thing, mm-hmm. right? So, and you know, that in, in mind, um, I realized the microdosing over time consistently, with guidance, with a lot of, you know, knowledge and information around this whole capacity building, really changed the game. And through those experiences now, I recommend everyone to go through these microdosing experiences, protocols at least, in their own way, in their own time, with a guide, because the the microdosing, you're still taking a tiny dose of the same big spirit, the intelligence. So there are times I've seen people really going into deep trauma work with microdosing. So that's possible. Mm-hmm. So the guidance is, is utmost important. And then once they kind of work with several protocols, we've noticed that their system now is in a really good, robust place to go into the big experience. And there is a more lasting change because of that preparation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just because they have a, they've shifted their understanding. They they learned a lot and they understood the whole thing about being with your difficulties and challenges and emotions. Microdosing teaches that really well in mm. little incremental openings. Mm. Uh, it, it kind of dissipates quick. It comes on quick and then it kind of leaves the person quick. So that kind of like a training ground. Mm-hmm to then go into the big ineffable experiences then contain that changed everything. Hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of how I am structuring some of the work that I'm doing as a facilitator.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I think that I I have a tendency to just defer back to my own experiences, which were still very gradual, even though I have, um, you know, the vast majority of my work has been with uh, moderate to high doses, you know, I came into it very gradually at the age of 19. I took my first dose and then it was, you know, I was only like three grams and then maybe six months later and then six months after that. And it was it was 2009. I started dosing in 99 and it was 2009 before I did a five gram trip, you know, and. Probably even myself and working with people have underestimated. Um, even my own experience in gradually coming to kind of different levels or different thresholds within that space.
0: I love that. It's very similar to the structure that I, I recommend. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. It's like gradual building of that inner capacity. And okay. also in, in, in the process, you learn how to be with these dynamics, right? The dimensions that you've been taken out of, like all these places that you, you get tested Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's a complete learning on a theoretical way. Like you understand this territory now and each time you do better and each time you do better is we need this, mm-hmm. we need this. This is a lovely Western model uh, as opposed to the, you know, uh, indigenous way of usage. But um, yeah, so that's very lovely. Like you said, uh, gradually building that capacity. For me, it's all about contain the person. Can they contain themselves? Mm-hmm. without relying too much on others mm-hmm. in their experience, because that what repatterns them and changes them. It's a bit like um. that shift came to me. I remember when I was practicing yoga with a teacher, with a facilitator of uh, some time, and somehow she was so intuitive that she kept asking me or guiding me into these poses that really was challenging. But she was really intuitive in, in terms of like, She would say things like woo woo things like that. Oh, I I feel like your heart is so closed. So then she would ask me to do these heart opening poses, like asanas, I'm like, they were really challenging. Like Mm -hmm. she knows she was onto something. Like I knew she was onto something. So she didn't practice yoga as a fitness regimen. She really did this in a spiritual perspective. And in one, one of those poses, I actually fell on the ground and this breaking to sweat and tears. And she just went, get up and go back in the pose now, like immediately. Mm. And I thought that was rude. But then I understood why, because as I did that, I was able to now second time do a bit longer. And then as she talked me through, the longer you can hold this pose, this challenging pose, it's going to translate into your life. Next time you face a challenging moment in your life, guess what? You're going to bounce back quicker. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, wow, like that was a great insight, which we find the same in the medicine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of like how I bridge the two experiences. So the more challenging experiences, can you be with it? Can you gradually build your capacity? That's where the magic is, because that translates into your life how you deal with the real life challenges. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. So, last the last big question I ask, um, and I I definitely want to save more. We could talk for another hour easily, but I want to <laughs> save more for further conversations. But um, I'm I'm curious, you know, as a community builder, and that like you said, community is the most important element. psychedelic work and the integration accountability uh what what does the community look like for you How, how does your community form how do you meet like what's yeah just kind of talk us about talk to us about the community in the uk
0: yeah so the community that we're in it's amazing they they consist of a lot of coaches therapists mentors um a lot of people in In the space of self-development and all kinds of different areas, NLP, um, also spiritual teachers, uh, guides, all kinds of people. And what I would like to lead in this community in the way that I lead is that we all have different views, different understanding of the world and how we make sense and that's okay. So as long as we agree to disagree and we have our differences, we can have these incredible open conversations, although it triggers sometimes some people, but we still stay together. So that's kind of like the, the pillar of an authentic community where everybody has a voice and their differences are accepted, mm-hmm. but we still have these conversations that might challenge each other. Mm-hmm. So that's where I see the growth. So no rescue culture here. We don't want to rescue each other. When somebody comes in and ch- shares something really challenging about something, instead of making it about the others and the external problems and challenges, we say, "What is your role in perpetuating mm-hmm. this?" Mm-hmm. So let's take a little bit of that ownership. Let's take of that accountability. So there is an accountability. It's very strong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're not afraid of calling out each other, but also still. Stay together, still connected, because there is a sense of trust. So so this is kind of like gives the idea and the vibe of, of what is community for me.
1: Beautiful. That's yeah, sounds very similar to what we're working to create or are creating and differentiating from kind of some of these other models that you've described in the rescue culture. You know, here in the States, that's hmm, I feel like it's pretty prevalent i don't know in the uk is that is the whole like spiritual avoidance is that
0: Mm, indirectly still Mm -hmm. i think it's it's a pandemic of the world this is a real pandemic honestly Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. it's a global problem but um Mm -hmm. obviously as a culture and and as you know as you know uk are more reserved so that they Mm -hmm. do this indirectly but still very prevalent as well Mm -hmm. so yeah. yeah (laughs)
1: Americans are more outspoken about their uh, Mm -hmm. spiritual bypassing (laughs) (laughs) oh wow what a great conversation it has flown by here the time has uh, so that tells me we are definitely due for another conversation down the road Uh, before we part though would you please tell our listeners what is it that Psilocybin says to you Susan Mm.
0: yeah so the psilocybin says to me that the, the template that we carry is not ours, it's learned. And there is a greater wisdom that connects everyone that we need to find that. And that's gonna come through a conscious work or like a, a collective work together. Because the, for me, psilocybin is all about the community, the kinship, the togetherness. That's the agenda, like um, because that's what saves the planet and the people. That's when we end all the problems and the sickness and the the you know the 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 pain and the suffering of people. For me, it's all about get yourself in check with the template that you carry, that which is not yours, and you meant to become aware of it, and. These are the kind of conversations that I hear all the time.
1: Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I definitely feel the connection, uh, and I certainly appreciate your wisdom, as I'm sure our listeners and your community do as well. So thank you so much for what you're doing. Um, it's yeah, sorely needed in the psychedelic community,
0: Thank you so much Eric, it's been a pleasure to meet you, to have these conversations, it's a, it's a gift. So thank you for all the work that you're doing together with Courtney, really appreciate it.